Research for what? Hello and welcome to Research for What, the podcast that discusses scientific research, its purpose and impact. I'm your host, Ron Bouvray. Each week, I will interview recognized thought leaders who share the same passion for science and research and invest the energy, time or money. We will talk about the challenges and opportunities for research. I'm also very keen to find out how experts define impact and what methods they use to measure it. Every week, I will ask the question, research for what? In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Parissa Glass. Parissa is the Director for Social Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the George Institute for Global Health in Sydney. The George Institute for Global Health is a leading medical research institute focused on big health challenges. Can we start by asking you what the George does, what are the challenges it focuses on, and what your role is at the George Institute? Okay, maybe I'll start with my role first, so it gives a context of what I actually do in this place. So I've been at the George Institute for 11 years now, and I've been involved in a number of different activities from research to now operations. So I am the Deputy Director for George Institute Australia arm of the business. In that role, I manage all of the operations in Australia. I also lead the Entrepreneurship Innovation Program, which we call Genovate. And that program is about 18 months old. And we are rolling out uh, a number of initiatives across the organization. This is really about increasing and putting a framework around our entrepreneurship activity. The George Institute itself, I guess, as you mentioned, it's it's a global health organization. Yes. It's a non-profit medical research institute. It's an independent medical research institute headquartered here in Sydney. Started 20 years ago with three people. Now we've got about 750 people across right. the world. We've got offices in China, India and UK. And we also operate in a number of other regions through our CRO business, George Clinical. And our focus is really about changing or improving people's health throughout the world. And we focus on underserved populations, whether they are in rich or poor countries, regardless of geography. And we focus on big health issues, issues that impact a large number of people. And we do this three ways. We, we work on providing evidence for the best treatments and access to those treatments. Um, we also work with primary care in the first point of, I guess, contact for patients to health systems around the world and making sure people have access to those best health care. And we also, just like everything else we do in the organization, is about collaboration and partnerships. So we partner with governments, with other nonprofit organizations, with industry, um, with society, really, and with communities to make sure that we have the biggest impact. And whatever we do is actually relevant and is actually being taken up, translated into the practice, and it affects people's lives for the better. And we also, to improve the, I guess, the impact of our work, we also work with thought leaders, global leaders and experts in the field to make sure we stay relevant. And another way we work on impact is through establishing enterprises of profit with purpose businesses, which we can talk about a little bit later, is essentially acknowledging the important work that private sector can do 
to increase the impact of the work we do and to reach as many people as we can. So, so many questions come to mind. So you're talking about the challenges that the George Institute is focusing on, and you've talked about some of the partners you work with. I'm quite interested to see how you choose the challenges. There's so many challenges that one can work on. And who makes the decision on which challenges the George Institute will work on? How do you choose? Yeah, well, you're right. I mean, the global community, we've got lots of challenges and we deal with them every day. And some people deal with them more acutely than others because they're very close to those challenges or the needs that their communities have. But I guess the George Institute is working on a lot of big issues that has an expertise in. So, for example, we do a lot of work in renal research. We do a lot of work in cardiovascular research and critical care, for example, and a number of other diseases or conditions that are considered non-communicable diseases. So we believe that there's lots of other wonderful organizations that do great work in communicable disease. So that's not our expertise. Yes. We don't focus on that. And there are also other organizations that do work in other aspects of non-communicable disease, for example, in cancer, that we don't do in the organization here. So it's really about what you add to the whole endeavor of research. And we believe the expertise of our people is around non-communicable diseases and mainly in emerging markets because it's becoming a huge burden. And with the population increasing in size and aging population, it's just going to become bigger and bigger. And so essentially, that's our focus. So you do, do you sometimes struggle to justify what you're doing or does everyone get it? Look, I think with health, it's kind of, it's everybody's business. We all yes. understand it. And yeah. the issues are non-communicable diseases. We feel it all the time um, because as we age, we sort of, uh, all sorts of ailments we have to deal with. So I don't think we, anybody that really works in health and addressing unmet needs needs to justify what they do. But obviously the work we do has to add value and has to provide evidence, has to add to the endeavor of science. Otherwise, why be doing it? Right. So one interesting aspect for me is the number of conditions that prevail in developing countries or developed countries can be quite different. And I think the mission of the George Institute is to provide or ameliorate global health. So you may be working on conditions in developing countries, and, and you've mentioned some of the places that you work in, that don't have necessarily a direct benefit to Australia. Is that hard to justify? Is that easy for you to do? Look, I, as I said earlier, I guess I, our work is to deal with any matter that's in the remit of non-communicable diseases, and we do a lot of work in injury as well, in underserved populations. So it can be in both poor and rich countries. For example, in remote Australia, there would be communities that don't have access to the best care. So there are people actually affected by a lot of the issues that you would get, for example, in remote India. So it's really about transcending those geographical boundaries that might exist between nations and dealing with issues that don't know boundaries. And obviously in emerging markets, in underserved populations, certain issues are much bigger than other markets. And for example, established markets or markets that have the access to the best care. But the reality is that the global community is not separated by geography anymore. And it's not a problem of wondering region versus the other. 
as a global community, we need to address global issues. And one of those issues is obviously this growing burden of non-communicable diseases. Right. But I find interesting that the George Institute decided that they needed to be present in such countries. They have the presence in India and China. And that can't be easy. It would be a lot easier to remain in Sydney. So why and what are the benefits in being present in India and China? Yeah, look, it's not easy, obviously, establishing an operation outside of jurisdictions that you know. And it didn't happen overnight. It's been a lot of hard work and a lot of working with partners. But we believe if you want to change people's lives in any part of the world, you really need to engage with those people and with the communities because they understand their unmet needs. They understand how to work with the political boundaries and social boundaries and cultural boundaries that exist. And we can't, from Australia, for example, dictate how things should be done in remote India. We need to work with people who understand the issues inside out to be able to answer those problems. And the solutions that we might provide, for example, in certain markets might not apply to another market. For us to really change people's lives, we have to engage them in that change. Right. And a word you've mentioned a few times is impact. And I'm quite interested into talking about this. And what does impact mean for a research institution, a medical research institute? And what does it mean for community? Is that the same or what does it mean? Impact can mean many different things. To everybody you talk to, impact for them is different and is measured differently. For us, really, it's about improving people's lives. Measuring that can be complicated and can be hard. And we endeavor to do that as we go forward. But Look, it really depends on what it is that you're trying to do. Whatever project or program or activity you're engaged in, whether it be specific to a region or a global issue you're addressing, if you're not addressing the problem you started with, then you don't have an impact. If you can't reach the people that you want to change their lives, you don't have an impact. If you're working, for example, in a solution And it's a wonderful solution, it's some technology, but it's so expensive that nobody can actually access it. It will sit on the shelf and nobody will access it. So you're not going to have an impact. But even when you make an app, for example, accessible to people to try and change their eating habits, to try and change diabetes, this takes time, right? So do we give impact enough time? Sometimes we don't, right? Because the nature of how we are traditionally funded in research is difficult because you, as a researcher, I'm not a researcher myself, but I have been in the past. I come from basic research. Great. So I think that's fascinating. And also the number of partners we have to work with is increasing. You mentioned communities, patients, consumers, government, Mm -hmm. other research organizations, clinicians. How do you manage all these stakeholders? It's a very interesting, I guess, balance. Again, it goes back to what your primary purpose of the project that you're working on or the program. Or do you worry about what they say, what they think, what they do? and, And you do what you're good at? I guess, yes, you always have to have a focus, which is around your expertise and what you know. 
But it's about adding value to that. So it's about valuing other people's contribution, including consumers, because a lot of solutions that you might think will solve a problem, the consumer is not going to use or is not appropriate in certain settings because culturally it's not appropriate and it's never going to get used. So listening to all people's point of view and what works and really understanding the problem itself and working with different groups to provide a solution that eventually gets to the people that need it. And you can't do that, obviously, in a silo. So um, so I think you have a very holistic view about the purpose of scientific research. How early do you try and and discuss this view with your researchers? Do researchers have to think about the the end users when they start a project? How early do do they have to think about all the stakeholders? Um, it, it sort of, a lot of the work, I guess it sort of organically evolves. So most of, for example, the work that we do around clinical trials is because a clinicians worked in that sort of clinical setting has dealt with patients that go through certain issues and it's got a questions trying to answer. The whole point of science is to trying to answer questions. And that mind of ours is a fascinating mind that we have. We always have questions about things. So the questions develop as a result of the expertise and dealings with the problems. And people come together to see if they can answer the problem. And then if necessary, then we look at partnerships and engagement. But I guess it all depends what the concept is you're trying to answer. Our vision is very global. So as a consequence, that means that we have to think globally. We have to include as many people in a lot of the work that we do quite early on. And we can't, certainly we can't do a lot of the work we do without having partnerships to deliver those, for example, large clinical trials that we do around the world. So can you tell me, can you give me a few examples or a couple of examples of what it's changed to the people in Sydney to have worked or to be working with people in India and China? What does it change for them? Does it change what they work on, how they see things? Well, look, I always go back to the unmet need. So the whole mission of the organization is to answer big questions, to answer unmet needs, things that have been ignored and they are becoming big and big problems, bigger problems. So it's really working with people that are dealing with those problems and understanding it better and then formulating an idea of how to answer that and working together to answer those problems. For example, the problem of access to dialysis. Right. Dialysis, diabetes is a big problem and access to dialysis and or lack of access to dialysis results in millions of deaths annually around the world. And it's not because we don't have dialysis, it's because it's expensive and people can't access it. So how can we address that? We have to have solutions that are affordable and accessible and valuable to people everywhere. It's not good if you've got expensive technology that sits somewhere in a big hospital in Western world and people in remote India or China or elsewhere or remote Australia, they can access it. It's about providing solutions that can reach as many people as possible. And to do that, the only way you to, to do that is to think socially, to think about how can I make this affordable and accessible? So... Do you, when you look at whether a solution is having an impact, 
Do you think about where in the world this solution will be made available? Do you think about how many people will actually use it? Is it a numbers game? Look, you you always have to know what you're dealing with and what the numbers are, obviously, and working on big issues like diabetes, I think we all know it's a huge problem globally. But our solutions are really about those big problems and big numbers, big populations globally, and we need to know those. And there's plenty of evidence to show that certain issues are growing. It's mind-boggling, but when you think about it, that we're going to be 10.5 billion people in a couple of decades, it's sort of like, you know, it's scary to think about. So our solution is going to have to be something that can reach as many people that can access it and solve the problem at the global scale. Right. So now changing tack a little bit, one of the initiatives that the George Institute developed is promoting profit-for-purpose businesses. Can you tell me about this? Yeah, so as I said earlier, I guess um, we acknowledge that uh, private sector has got a big role to play, an important role to play in addressing a lot of our global issues, health issues, and to harness that discipline that exists in business and bringing it into the health and how we can actually implement a lot of the work that we do and have the impact we want to have. We Very early on, we realized that we need to think about socially impactful businesses or enterprises that have them they, at the core of it, the mission of it is a social impact. And that's essentially what these businesses are, that they don't have profit at the core mission of the of those businesses. The core mission of the of these enterprises or profit with purpose businesses is really to have a social impact, a positive social impact. And the profit that's generated usually goes back to have more, even bigger impact and more research or more activity that improves people's lives. So that's essentially what the George Institute has been doing through a number of activities that we've had and a few businesses that are at different stages of growth currently. So to go from scientific research to businesses is not a traditional way of getting your research discoveries out into the real world. Was that was there a transition, was there a gap in between the two that you managed to solve? I'm quite interested in this. Yeah, so look, this, I guess, business with profit idea is nothing new. Yes. And some NGOs <laughs> are doing it because in non-government sort of sector, in charity sector, it's the funding to operate the business is kind of a mixture of funding. You've got philanthropy, you've got government, you've got various kind of donations right. that come in. And it's sort of not a very stable kind of an environment. So if you want to grow, you need to have different kind of discipline and injection of profit. And there are a number of businesses and organizations, if you look at them, they've had social enterprises that generate a profit and it goes back to the mission of the organization. But it's kind of, I agree, it's kind of a new thing for a researcher, for a traditional medical researcher to think about. And it's a, a challenge that we're going through now, really, is that to get our researchers to think a bit more entrepreneurial. And when I think about or when I talk about entrepreneurship, it's not really about the money or profit that we're talking about. It's about solving a problem. And to solve a problem, you've got to think laterally. Right. And you have to 
consider all aspects and what other things you can inject to add value to your problem solving. And obviously business and being sustainable and being able to generate a sustainable business can that can do what it does and inject that profit into a bigger sort of mission-driven goal, it's only a win-win, I would think. So I'm interested to hear how the researchers receive that message. Because traditionally, they have different incentives. They ask to produce papers and apply for grants and receive grants. To think laterally about businesses, about different avenues to get their discoveries out into the world and make impact in a different way is something not traditional. How do they receive that message? It's a mixture, but I think landscape is changing. The whole ecosystem is changing. People understanding how they can have an impact through enterprises and through entrepreneurship activity. And our funding bodies have acknowledged that and they want to see more translation of their evidence, commercialization of those ideas, patents being developed. So, And this all obviously helps the whole ecosystem, ensures that we have impact. I think it really helps the younger generation researchers coming on board to understand the whole, to really have a big picture view about what it is they're trying to do. And you see that now. I mean, the younger researchers of today, they are all entrepreneurial. They want to solve problems and they want to see, well, how can I profit from that, right? How can I have return on my time invested? So it's our role really to harness that energy (laughs) to make sure that it's directed at things that actually going to have a positive social change. So is it coming from the younger generations, do you think? Look, you can see more and more in younger generation, but even the older researchers are embracing it. But it does take time. It's nothing that you can change overnight. And it's, uh, I guess it's the culture of our funding has been sort of to blame because, you know, it measures success differently. Yes. It doesn't doesn't really Mm. measure success based on, so much of your translation of your work, it's very immediate, you know, publication numbers and whatever, you know, grants (laughs) and all of that that uh, researchers are very familiar with and they feel comfortable. They can measure that. They can demonstrate that. But measuring impact is difficult. Measuring translation is difficult. But if we are really going to answer those big questions, we can't stick to the old method of measuring impact of our work. Yeah. So these metrics have to change. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I think the way we reward researchers is going to have to change if we want to change the whole ecosystem. And again, going back to the transition from scientific research to businesses, what is the role of researchers there? How far do they have to go? Do they need to be involved in the business side of things? Or do you match researchers, scientists, and business leaders, people who have more expertise in business management? Ultimately, it's about impact, right? And how best we can have that impact and how quickly we can have that impact. And also the interests of the researcher. If they're very interested in entrepreneurship and they want to be involved from the beginning to the, to the time that the business is viable and is generating an income, they, they're part of it. But 
I think as long as you've got the necessary expertise to make that business successful, then it doesn't really matter. For me, it wouldn't matter. For me, the thing that matters is really the impact, the translation of evidence, the reaching to the people that it needs to serve, the solution being available. Otherwise, all that money and investment that has gone into generating the evidence or uh, making that wonderful device or whatever it is we want to take to market is not going to reach the people that need it. Right. There is, for me, there is a big gap between trying to produce a prototype, showing that it works, Showing that the device yeah. works and piloting actually it. piloting it yeah. and actually gaining a device manufactured in high copies and getting this out and getting people to actually buy it. Well, that's why you need mixture of expertise. That's why you need right. partnerships. You can't yes. do it alone. As a researcher, you you know you you bring a certain amount of certain certain level of expertise and understanding of what you're trying to do. But there's obviously a lot of other people that you need to include to make that idea into reality. And once it becomes a reality, then how do you actually get it to the market? How do you get people to actually buy it? I guess if you have all of that from the beginning thought through, then it makes it much easier. It's still quite difficult, yes, uh, but it would make it much easier. That's why it's very important, I think, in this context that we're dealing with actual problems. We are dealing with unmet needs, with gaps that haven't been addressed. Otherwise, if you're putting out another gadget that's going to cost a lot of money and the health system doesn't have the money to pay for it, then it's not going to go anywhere. It's really about understanding the gaps in our healthcare, in our health system and global issues. Um, because we're already spending a lot of money. Yes. And as a percentage of our GDP, we're spending way too much, not as much as some other countries and not as small as some other countries. But I think if you just look at in Australia, we're already spending quite a bit. We don't want to add more burden into our overstretched healthcare financing, I guess. So every solution I believe that we provide our health system has to add value by being more affordable and as well as obviously being effective and safe and addressing a problem. So I think it's interesting to hear what you've got to say. And I think it's very interesting times to be living in. Mm -hmm. Where are we going and what should we shape for the ideal situation, environment? Well, ideally, I mean, ideally you would want to make sure that everybody around the world has access to the best care, the best evidence in the context of where they live and how they live. As I was saying earlier, that some of the solutions that might apply, for example, in Australian market is not going to apply to remote regions in India. But in the context of healthcare, the ideal situation is that everybody has equitable access to the best best healthcare and improved life going forward. And then the next generation can have a better life as a consequence of that. Homelessness, for example, it's really about addressing inequity and access to what should be the human right, really. It's all about human rights and, right, and making right those wrongs 
that we've sort of had in our society to date. And diversity and inclusion and equality of men and women, obviously a massive issue in our society. The same token, addressing homelessness in parts of our society and domestic violence, very important. So I wouldn't say that I my main passion is this or that. It's really about addressing inequity wherever that may be. So can I ask in a provocative way, why is that the mission of a medical research institute? Or is it the mission of a medical research institute to address diversity, equality and inclusion? And how can we address this? Well, I, I guess two ways, really. As researchers, we need to address or answer problems answer issues and have solutions for things. And there's many, many issues that have needed uh, addressing, for example, in women's health. So it's the research that we do could focus in areas that have been neglected today. Or as researchers and people with platform, we can actually use that platform to highlight the problems that exist in our societies, which for so many other reasons that we haven't thought about or others haven't thought about, it sort of stays hidden, whether it be political, religious, social, whatever it is, whatever limitation that artificially we have put our, ourselves under, it sort of results in certain people, certain groups to be neglected and the issues not being answered. So as researchers, as people with platform, we need, it is our responsibility, I think, that we need to bring those problems to light and ensure they're addressed. Look, I think I've taken enough of your time. We've had a fantastic conversation. Thank you very much for being so frank and open about these issues, about what you do, and the rest and the challenges we, we're still facing. Thank you very much again, Thank Tarisa. you. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Research for What? To connect and find more information about this episode, check out researchforwhat.com. Until next week. Research for what? <laughs> <laughs>